Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Delete. As you know, this podcast is about our relationships with the internet and also our relationship with creativity and how the two work together. And I can't think of anyone better to interview around that topic than Matt Haig, who is someone I love following on Twitter, but I also love his amazing books, which he's written many, many of. So Matt Haig is a brilliant author who writes books for both adults and children. His memoir, Reasons to Stay Alive, was a number one bestseller last year, staying in the British top 10 for 46 weeks. His children's book, A Boy Called Christmas, was also a massive hit recently and has been translated into over 25 languages and is being made into a film by Studio Canal and The Guardian called it an instant classic. His fans include Neil Gaiman and his novels for adults include the award-winning The Radleys and The Humans. His newest book, How to Stop Time, is out now and that's what we talk about on the podcast as well as many other things. How to Stop Time is about a man called Tom who has a secret. He may look like an ordinary 41-year-old but he was actually born in 1581 and is still alive. So he has been alive for centuries. It's also being made into a film with none other than Benedict Cumberbatch uh, playing Tom. So it's all kicking off for Matt Haig things are very exciting indeed and it was amazing to talk to him about all of his many projects. Uh, so in this podcast episode we talk about his new novel, his relationship with time, how to deal when your very very personal memoir is a viral hit and some realistic writing tips. So I hope you enjoy this episode and here it is. Well thank you Matt Haig for coming onto my podcast. It's very, very, very nice to be here. Uh, thank you for having me. Well, this has been in the pipeline for some time now, it so has. it's ni- nice to be doing it. I think I DM'd you ages ago just being like, please. And once you said yes, I was like, oh, amazing, because I have sort of a list of dream guests and you're up there. Oh, God, yeah. But to set the scene, we're in Cannon Gate offices. I'm yes. sweating slightly. It's a hot day in July. <laughs> it's publication day today, we should say. It, yeah, yeah. So it's the eye of the storm. It's, it's, I've done... Um, Two actual events. I've got my official launch night, so I'm in 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 the early stages of it. But um, yeah, so far so good. I've been very normally I, I I do silly things like drink wine and all kinds of things. But this time I'm my body is a temple. I'm staying healthy, no hangovers. I'm you know I had a carrot juice earlier. <laughs> so and we've got orange I'm, juice here. So. We've got orange juice, yes. So <laughs> yeah, you've good. got to keep the energy up for this stuff, I can imagine. But um, I was going to ask you, I guess, uh, what I really, really admire about you and all of your work is you don't really, you haven't really been pigeonholed as anything. You've written children's books. You've written. You're on the credits of writing for Paddington. Obviously, your bestseller of last year, the non-fiction, and now you've written an amazing novel, which is going to be turned into a film. Like, there's so much going on, do, your, do the people that come to your events, do they have like a similarity to them? Do they, are they fans of everything? Yeah, I mean, I suppose um, Reasons to Stay Alive um, changed it a little bit because that's when I was writing about myself rather than making up stories. So um, it's interesting though, because people now see the thread between all my work, Reasons to Stay Alive sort of joined everything together. So even if I'm writing about a children's story about Father Christmas, or if I'm writing a, a grown-up science fiction story, or whatever I'm writing, um, I think it's not, they're not similar in terms of genre, in terms of how you market them, but they come from the same place, really. It's all to do with being an outsider and um, just 
yeah, mental health, I suppose, is a lot of it. Because, like, up until my sort of mid-twenties, I would have never thought of myself yeah. as a writer, as someone who could be a writer. The urge and the need to write as a kind of therapy um, came out of that experience and out of the experience specifically of recovery, of getting better and sort of... Yeah, I think that, and I think that will always be in me now, that urge to write, you know, how, whatever happens, however successful or unsuccessful my career is or whatever, that need to actually write, as anyone who follows my relentless, annoying Twitter feed <laughs> will know. I love your writing tips on Twitter, because you're not painting a picture of like, oh, light a candle and do this and here's some tips, it's, it's more like you just have to get on with it, and if you get distracted by Twitter, so be it. Yeah. No, and, and some of them it's tongue-in-cheek because I don't, you know, I, I, I still, I mean, I've written loads of books now cause I, and it makes me feel so old because you, you get the first page of a book or the books that you've ever written and mine's getting really long so you're going to wonder how many more there's going to be before I snuff it, but hopefully a few more. But, um, yeah, I still don't know how to write. I don't, I, I get scared when I finish a book because, yes, I knew how to write that book yeah. But I don't know how to write a new book, and each new book you sounds really pretentious. But you kind of need to learn how to write each time because it's you're writing that story. Yeah, I've heard a lot of um, writers say that. Like Cheryl Strayed says that she says that every new book she's back to the girl she was when she was mm. pitching her very first book. It's like the self doubt yeah. comes back a little bit. But you're kind of like, well, maybe all of those six bestsellers were amazing but maybe this one won't be and it's kind of maybe keeps you your momentum yeah I think so I think the moment you get too complacent and you think oh yeah so I've got all the answers I know how to write um, that's when you might lose it I mean you, you see a lot of successful writers you know through history they have a peak and then they get super famous or whatever. but I, th I feel like every new book because I'm naturally an anxious person every new book feels like a first novel I'm exactly as nervous today with um, How to Stop Time coming out as any other book I've done. So that doesn't change. Um, in a way, I suppose, I had more confidence with my very, very first book years and years ago um, because I had zero expectation and there was zero pressure. No one had read me. I didn't know anyone was going to read me. Whereas now you worry that you're going to suddenly lose people or, you know, that sort of pressure. But... Um, no, it's very good, and I've got a very um, good publisher. Uh, I didn't always have a good publisher, but I've got a publisher now who I feel like they'll follow me, Father Christmas, mental health, mm -hmm. vampires, aliens, immortal people, whatever. Yeah, definitely. Knowing that you use your followers as a bit of a focus group, do your ideas stem from any sort of conversations on there? I mean, Reasons to Stay Alive was born out of Twitter. And really. the blog post as well, was it? Yeah, yeah, there was a blog called Reasons to Stay Alive, and I wrote that not at all thinking of a book and almost not wanting to put it up as a blog because I was sort of. It was the first time I'd written about mental health, but I'd been writing, starting to write blogs because I'd been writing blogs for a charity called Book Trust, and I was having to do them every week and I was running out of things. Um, to talk about because it's not like you where you're interviewing someone and that can add something new it was just me every week and um, yeah so I, 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 I thought okay I'll start talking about this thing that I kind of want to talk about which I've never talked about before I think it's funny when you just cross a line um, into being doing something a little bit risky a little bit personal a little bit 
shameless and you just say something that's actually really true because a lot of the time even when you're trying to be truthful in blogs or anything there's a, there's a slight theatre to it there's a slight you're slightly mm-hmm. putting on a show but it's amazing when people have just a, an instinct for something real so it, it wasn't a particularly well written blog or anything but I think people knew it was an honest blog mm-hmm. and people just respond um, to honesty very well and then you know uh, I, I'm someone else in the book industry a writer called Cathy Rensenbrink oh. she asked she she was the one who suggested doing reasons to stay alive and then I even included tweets in the book and it was a very it, it just seemed a, a book that came out of the internet compared to anything I'd done before and even like how to stop time and that I did a tweet which started with how to stop time and um, which isn't credited all the time which no. it must be so annoying. But, but it, I, know, I know that I know. your followers always tag you in and they're like, this is yours, we know it's yours, but it's yes. on Pinterest and it's but had that, a million shares. Yeah, that's what happens if you, you start to get a bit of meme ability and you start to become a meme. Um, I think, yeah, it's a different, whole different, the old rules of copyright. And I know, don't, when, don't, when don't. is that grey area going to change? <laughs> because those are your words. But um, I was thinking that that's why I love following you is because you aren't afraid to say things even if you're going to go and feel nervous about it afterwards because I'm like that I think writers are like that in general but it's very vulnerable and very real Um, because there's a YouTube video I think you did when you were promoting um, Reasons to Stay Alive and it's 11 minutes and it's just you on your phone but I watched the whole thing oh my god 11 minutes now is um, you know it's a long time yeah that was such a yeah 11 minutes is too long for a YouTube video um, you were you were being very very genuine and I think unfortunately there isn't enough of that um, it's like with that Vogue piece that came out the other day the, um, yes. the Vogue fashion director that just got fired and, uh, it goes honesty goes viral yeah, but, I mean, and that what she said is the kind of things she yeah. will have been saying for years in conversations in cafes but to just actually put it out there people respond to it because you were so used to that gloss and spin aren't we yeah. Everything, and even some of these. I, I think there's loads of great vloggers out there, but so, some some of it now it's almost uh, falling into the traps of TV, where things are a little bit too edited. People are getting a bit too nifty, and mm. uh, <laughs> uh, uh, cutting and everything. And um, you know, uh, you need a bit of that, and you need to have the skills and stuff. But when it becomes all presentation, I think yeah. there's a risk. There. I feel like hopefully that's the beauty of this podcast with sirens going past yeah, and a exactly. meeting room going on yes, next door. I know authentic background <laughs> yeah. noises. But is, would you say there is a thread um, through your work of time? Because I, with the interviews I've read as well of, of what you've said with your past managing um, depression, some of the stuff you've said is there's no quick fix, obviously, and time has been something that's helped. With Father Christmas, there's yeah. t- you know that's time in a very strange, sped-up way. Of- yeah, uh, in Father Christmas stories, I'm having to talk about how he stops time good to do what he does on Christmas Eve and yeah um, with, with, with time with, with this with how to stop time I think it was more about um, the feeling I used to get and still sometimes you know I still get dips of anxiety and depression and what that does to time because you know time is relative obviously and if you're in pain physical pain mental pain time lasts and so like three weeks of severe depression isn't three normal weeks um so kind of like i i was ill for three years like in terms of being continuously ill well it 
was degrees of it and I was gradually getting better in the last year and a half but I was sort of continually in an ill place for three years and yet that feels like 50% of my life because it was just so long and it's always there I can I can remember things now and we're going back you know the best part of two decades now but I can remember things there that um, I, 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 no one else can remember at all from that time. I can remember conversations and I can remember moments because I was remembering very ordinary, mundane stuff um, that wasn't eventful, but it was eventful because of what was going on in my head. Like I can remember an es- like just sitting here now, I can remember going on an escalator in John Lewis in Nottingham and going down and literally thinking everything was crumbling in and I, I was with my girlfriend she wouldn't even remember we went to John Lewis that day but you know it's just I arrogantly call my book how to stop time I think you can't obviously stop time but you can stop worrying about time and you can try and um, live in the present but I think we have so many distractions these days that and so many worries um, where we're not encouraged to be in the present moment and it starts in education you're always revising for a test and kids have more and more and more tests these days so you're always thinking the next thing and all your tests and exams are for a job at the end of the day so we're encouraged to think about the future and then you get to a certain age and then you just think about the past and then, and I, I think we're encouraged you know we're either encouraged to be nostalgic or we're encouraged to be future thinking and it's actually very hard to be yeah. in that moment because even if things are going well you think what am I not worried yeah. about Because yeah. I'm at the moment, I'm thinking, I don't really, you know, things are going well, so what am I missing? I need to worry about something. I need to make something up. Yeah. Obviously, the, the main character in, in How to Stop Time is, is centuries old. Has it been in your head for, for years? Well, the idea of writing from the perspective of someone very, very old has been in my head for years and years, probably even before The Humans. And when I was writing The Humans, which is about an alien in a human body, um, who comes from outer space. I was thinking, well, this is my book about the perspective of space, so it'd be good to do the perspective of time um, as the other thing, because I think it's a kind of a, a mindfulness thing to see ourselves as quite small in the grand scheme of things. So you can do that by looking at the universe, or you could do that by looking at history and time. And I find it quite therapeutic, because one of the things like um, with mental illness, you literally become wrapped up in yourself. Yeah, it's It's not a selfish personality trait it's like any illness if your legs on fire you're going to be concentrating on your leg it doesn't make you selfish and with mental health you 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 are wrapped up in yourself literally and you don't want to be but you can't find a way out um and i find like just simple corny things like looking at a night sky or um looking at stars in space that helps but also just thinking about history and thinking about things. One of the very um, good things for me when I was ill and what I read, I used to read a lot of like First World War poetry and things like that because obviously a lot of that's about mental health. It's about people who've been through way worse experiences than you, often surviving them. And it's not exactly a cheery read, but it, it, it puts things in perspective. Mm. Did your um, experience, you know, compared to now, do you feel like there is more resources out there for people in general I know that you went on Bryony Gordon's podcast and um, people like Prince Harry all this stuff now where people are saying it's okay to talk about it or do you still think we have so far to go well 
I think two things. I think one, yes, I think people are generally getting a little bit better about talking about mental illness, or at least certain strands of mental illness. I think, we, I think we're at a point now where people can talk about their spell of anxiety or their spell of depression or that they had a panic attack two weeks ago. I think we're there. I think other people with other conditions uh, would say we're not quite there. I think if you've got schizophrenia or borderline personality disorder or eating disorders, I think there's all kinds of stigma surrounding mental health. Um, I, I, I think one thing that's happening is I genuinely think uh, more people are having mental health problems. Mm. I, I don't think it's just the case that more people are going to the doctor because they feel confident talking about it. I'm sure that is part of it. But just as how like the world can make us ill physically, whether it's by passive smoking or air pollution or the foods that are available as a supermarket or advertised to us I think things can make us ill mentally and I think we're, we've got to start looking at the way our society is um, taking people who might be prone to mental illness but actually making them mentally ill by you know just um, little things we don't sleep like we used to do and mm. sl sleep is known to be massively yeah. important but you know like so we're on our phones last thing at night um, we're on our phones first thing in the morning we've always got things whirring around in our brain we've got deadlines we, we set alarms you know uh, over a hundred years ago we weren't even having the electric light to mm. keep us up so we had a bit more of a natural rhythm mm. um, so we live in a quite an artificial detached mm age while our brains are still caveman brains cave woman brains cave person brains so it's um yeah it's true because i think as well with waking up in the morning and getting an email that's freaking you out a little bit 8 a.m your body goes into fight or flight mode and you haven't even got out of bed and your like heart is racing that's not that's not what we're designed for yeah. really so no. let's leave that until we get up yeah. and feel have a coffee get ready for the day then check your emails yes and yeah and everyone's got a set time like we get up now because it's eight o'clock we get up because it's eight o'clock um whereas if you go back before we had a minute hand on our clocks which isn't that many generations ago um then you know life was a bit so there's this great thing because i've been researching a lot of history mm. you know, oh so, yeah i was so, going to ask you about all of that you, you you must have read up on a lot of historical moments Yeah, well, I, well I, like, I like fun stuff, like Samuel Pepys' diary, which was like the sort of blog or slash podcast of the day, but obviously it didn't become public until after he died. But it, it, when he first had a pocket watch, just a little pocket watch, he, he'd check it, like, we check a smartphone. <laughs> and he was just like, oh, it's nearly a quarter. Yeah. And, it's, and he, 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 like, had to end up sort of selling it because he, he couldn't cope with it. The first addict. The first addict. But yeah. so... You know, and one day, you know, will be the sort of funny anecdote of the past. Oh, can you remember when yeah. they had microphones and podcasts? <laughs> you know, it, it's yeah, funny. it's so true. It will just be kind of some <laughs> chip in our eye in the future. Yeah. With um, all of your stuff that you're doing, how do you take a step back from all of this? Because obviously, um, when you write a best-selling book, you must get so much, you must get so many emails, so many people getting in touch with you. How do you sort of switch off? And yeah, take I mean, a break last year that? when reasons took off it was crazy because should have been like one of the best times in my life because I'd been a writer for ages not always a successful one then suddenly I had this book that was number one in the charts and I was getting lots of attention and everything I thought I wanted and but the the double-edged sword was it was a book about the most painful experience of my life I was suddenly seen as a sort of Samaritan figure and people mm -hmm. in very vulnerable situations people you couldn't ignore 
we're constantly it's not like you can yeah. you can put an auto response on for a month if, if people are just saying nice things about your novel mm-hmm. but if people are saying oh, they've just been um, admitted into a psych ward and they're sort of feeling desperate and they've been cutting themselves you can't ignore mm-hmm. those sort of things so I was I, I it coincided with me moving house and then me going into as I periodically do a sort of three week it always seems to be about three weeks with me period of anxiety and then getting these emails one of the things I get with anxiety is like a really intense um, hypochondria, but these days it's often mental health hypochondria. So I was being presented with all these symptoms I didn't even know existed from people with emails, and they were, everything was a trigger because I was just oh reading God. about all these things, like, certainly like OCD things, and then I'd start having the symptoms. And because you, you you can with mental illness literally think yourself into having the illness oh in God, some cases. Yeah. Of course. So. Um, yeah, that was that was the tricky side. I'm now at a different place, and I'm now absorbed it, and I I'm now feeling really proud that I I wrote that book. And but there was a, a good period last year where I would have probably pressed the button to have just disappeared and not have put out there because I'm still still that's probably the thing I'm most known for. And um, yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, being a sort of like Mr. Depression or something, especially when in day-to-day life these days, I, do, I feel very far from that person. And but, no wonder you went and wrote amazing Christmas children's Well, books. that's exactly why. And that's <laughs> why I like being as eclectic as possible because I'd hate to be pigeonholed as just that. But even, like, I, um, you know, far, even my Father Christmas, he's not exactly depressive, but it's all about how you sort of live and find yourself because uh, Father Christmas doesn't age from the point at which he discovers who he truly is. So it's mm. all about finding yourself. Mm. But um, yeah, no, it was it was, it was intense. Um, but there is nothing better as a writer because a lot of the time as a writer, it just feels like this, you know, not pointless, but it feels it doesn't feel real in a way. But when you get someone like someone came to me to an event last night, this guy in Liverpool, and he just said. And that when he admitted to his mum he had a um, he was depressed, she gave him a copy of the Bible for him to understand life better. And so he told me that he'd placed reasons to stay alive beside her bed so she could understand him better. And just, I think that's what I'm pleased I did. I articulated something that I wouldn't have been able to articulate when I was ill. But, and people, when they're ill, they often can hardly speak. So to have something that just in quite plain, simple language says, this is mm-hmm. what it was like, I think people value that. So true. And, 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 and I think it's especially important with things to do with the mind, things that are invisible, because you're not on crutches, you're not in a wheelchair. People don't automatically see you in the street. Mm-hmm. Not that you'd necessarily want that, but if you're literally explaining to somebody um, what you feel, and they're presented as, you know, like... A lot of the time during my recovery, when I was still ill, I, I looked in the best shape of my life because I was running every day. Mm. I was I was going to the gym. I was like a 25 year old young man, and um, you know, so it was very hard for people to sort of sympathise and think, I, "Are you really that ill?" Because I and because you look great and I could smile, you know, <laughs> yeah. I could smile and. Um, there was something I think it might be a Telegraph piece or something, but it opens with like the things that you got more sympathy for than having depression like bad amazon reviews it's almost like people if they can relate to it even slightly will be like oh that must be awful yeah yeah but why not why not a mental health thing then i think the slight 
I think people like to imagine that it couldn't happen to them because they're too strong or they do things the right way. And, and I can understand that because having depression and stuff is horrible. And it is horrible to say, oh, it could happen to you, it could happen to you. And it might, you know, it won't happen to everyone. But um, I, I, I think people like to believe in free will. They like to believe that they're in total control about their minds. So if you're starting to have to believe that they themselves could get seriously mentally ill at any point in their life, they would, that would suddenly unravel a lot of things mm. for them because they'd realise they're not in control of the most important aspect of themselves. Yeah, yeah. You've got a month ahead of events and things, have you? If people want to come and yeah, well, um, come to events, where can yeah, they find you? I'm going to be doing Manchester, I'm going to be at Edinburgh Book Festival. I um, love that festival. It's, yes, I, I, did I meet you at Edinburgh Book Festival once? Um, I was in the audience. Yeah, and yeah, you said hello after Yes, yes, I did, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, my hometown of Newark on Trent, which rarely has any kind of literary events, I'm doing something there. I'm doing New York. Um, yeah, all over the place. I've, I've gone blank. Bath and Port Elliot Festival. Um, well, thank you so much and congratulations on your book. And thank we you. haven't even discussed the fact that Benedict Blimmin Cumberbatch is playing the lead. Yeah, it's another weird thing to absorb. Obviously, <laughs> that is great. And the fact that I, I, I just finished writing the second draft, the men that news happened while I was still writing like the third draft yeah. or something it was a bit surreal we'll see what oh happens God. but yeah I know it's... but watching this world come to life on a screen will be so magical it would be amazing when, do, you, do you know kind of when it's going to come out or, or... Um, well they uh, they literally I, I heard 10 minutes before this podcast that they've found the writer they want to write the screenplay it's someone very good I'm probably not allowed to say but um, yes it's it would they want to do it faster but obviously Benedict Cumberbatch being Benedict Cumberbatch has quite a busy diary so in terms of fitting him in we'll see. I saw him do the letters live which can oh, yeah, 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 do yeah, 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 and yeah I mean no he's amazing yeah god okay. wow well thank you so much thank you Emma thank you I've always wanted to do this thank you